we also said, okay, not only are there things that we want to maintain, but actually there's some unique opportunities that we have given the remote nature that we can do some things that we are harder to do, frankly, in any other summer. That's my longtime friend and colleague, Steph Chavin, VP of Recruiting based in our Chicago office, talking about some of the highlights of our summer associate internship program that was virtual this past summer. I'm Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain & Company, and this is Beyond the Bio. It's a podcast that shares the stories of our extraordinary people from their perspectives. You can read their bios online, but those barely scratch the surface of who they are and the important work they're doing here at Bain. Today, we'll talk with Steph about her background, how she built her own Bain, and her passion for entrepreneurship within the firm. Welcome, Steph. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Keith. Happy to be here. So, Steph, you and I have actually known each other for a very long time, since we started as ACs in the 90s. Although we haven't really worked on the same team on the client side, we're now working together in recruiting. But I want to get the audience up to speed a little bit on your background and your path. You got your BS at Indiana, went on to get your MBA at Harvard. Why did you decide to join consulting, join Bain? How did you know that it was time to go back and get your MBA? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when I was initially making the decision about why consulting and why Bain, this was, I was, as you said, at Indiana looking ahead. And at that point, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) I just knew that I wanted to explore and not close any doors. And so for me, consulting was an opportunity to try out a lot of different industries, types of problems, but also know that I was going to get the accelerated learning curve that was going to open up a whole host of doors for me. And then it was Bain because it was just the place where I felt most connected to the people, really smart people who I also felt comfortable. What I used to say, my acid test question was, where do I feel most like I can ask a dumb question? Because in my mind, that was my test for where am I going to feel most comfortable learning and getting the most out of that experience. So that was my Why Bain? Why my MBA then? I'd been an AC, an SAC. I actually got promoted to consultant. But it was very much, for me, my area of where I needed to learn and to grow was in building confidence in myself and making that shift from analyst to advisor and being comfortable in that shift. And so I saw an MBA as the opportunity to get out of work for a little bit, to go to school, to see a lot of different problems and practice cracking problems, but also listening to others' perspectives and hearing from them and learning from them. I also had an interest in the nonprofit sector. So I saw an MBA as a huge opportunity to learn a lot about nonprofit and education reform specifically, build a network there potentially that might help me for my longer term career goals. You mentioned at the start coming to Bain from Indiana. Were there a lot of other alums from Indiana at Bain at the time? I was the first person to be hired from Indiana directly. I was lucky in that that year there was an MBA hire who had gone to IU for undergrad who was interested in exploring that school. So our paths crossed, but at the time I was I was the very first person to be hired directly from IU. Mm-hmm. And was it hard coming in here with all the football fans and Big Ten fans from other schools? <laughs> well, I certainly had to represent relative to Michigan and Northwestern and some of the other schools. It was good. I mean, I certainly... I was nervous at the start, but I quickly learned that I had the skills and I knew how to, I could figure out how to learn and took off from there. 
So let's talk a little bit about how you built your own Bain. You started at Bain as an AC, went back to business school, as you already mentioned, but you did get involved in other things. I know, uh, like me, you've done staffing, you've worked on some nonprofit cases. What are some of the things that you did outside of your client work at Bain to sort of build your own path? Yeah, absolutely. And I always say that one of the reasons that I've stayed at Bain for as long as I have is because I've had the flexibility to do so many different things in my career, given where my interests and passions lied at any given time. So for me, I hinted at this before, but social impact was a big area of interest and something I explored in business school. And when I came back, there were a couple of things that I was able to do at Bain to explore that even further. The first was I did an externship at the Bridgespan Group, the nonprofit consulting firm that Bain's affiliated with. And I spent six months there across a few different clients, across a lot of different sectors, actually, and just learned a lot about what is similar <laughs> to consulting in a nonprofit versus for-profit sector and what's different and got a lot of learnings out of that. Most people have heard of an internship. I believe you said externship. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? Because a lot of people are going, wait, what did she do? Right. An externship is I take a leave from Bain to go work somewhere else for a few months and then come back to Bain right after. And I'm, I'm committed to Bain for the next few months in return for that. But so I'm still an employee of Bain, but I'm on leave of absence while working at Bridgespan. Yeah. And that's one of the things that sort of surprised me and a lot of other people, but it's a way for people to scratch that itch that they had or seek out that curiosity or experience that they have in a way that's a lot more immersive maybe than doing it on the on the client side or inside Bain. And Bridgespan has been a great partner for us for a very long time since I think they were founded in 2000. You did that externship. Did you then come back? Did you take other leaves? What else did you do? Yeah, I then came back to Bain and I continued along the career path at Bain. You mentioned I, I did hold the program manager role at one point. That was really important to me. That was actually my first interest in exploring operating roles. So I did it for the people development piece of it. I really wanted to invest in the culture of Bain and in, in the development of our people. But what surprised me was how much fun I had being part of the behind the scenes decision making that happens for the consulting firm. So that was one. I've also taken several leaves while at Bain. Two, I have two children. They're now in fourth and fifth grade. So two of them were maternity leaves. I also was fortunate to be able to take a leave in another time in my life when I really needed it. That was just a couple of years ago. My mom actually had cancer three different times. The first was when I was in AC. She got it again when I came back after business school. And then in 2016, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, and actually in each of those periods, I can point to times where I took some time off briefly from being to support my mom. But this last time in the fall of 2018, she took a turn for the worse. And it was clear that we were in the last few months. I moved her into my home and became her primary caretaker through every aspect of what that means and took a leave from Bain and was fortunate that that was easy. No questions asked. It just happened. And for five months, I didn't think about work and I focused on my mom. Um, unfortunately, she passed and I took another month after that and then came back to Bain after that. How difficult was it to ask for the time? How difficult was it? Did you try and stay connected or did you really just do what we ask people to do? But I know it's very hard for people who are high achievers to really unplug and focus on the things that are most important in their lives. How did you manage that? Yeah. So in the first couple of weeks when I was trying to figure out exactly what the situation was, I started having the conversation and I got a very clear message of don't worry about us. Make the decision you feel is best for you and your family and your mom. And so that 
made it really easy. And so within a week, I did a few things to wrap up and hand off what I needed to, but I also have a really great team and they took over from there and I really did. A couple of people knew that they could text me if they really needed to, but I completely disengaged from me. I needed to, and I was supported fully in doing that. Yeah, and I was on the other side of that working with your team in your absence and to see people rally to get done what needed to get done because I think it was right at the beginning of the recruiting season when you left and that's arguably the busiest time of year for the team and nobody questioned it at all, which was just amazing to see and to see the sacrifices that people were making to get everything done was really amazing. Across all levels of the firm, right? People came out of the woodwork to help. When that month towards the end was done and you did come back to work. I think you were before and are still using our flexible, one of our other flexible work options and working about 60%, which is a big 60. The denominator is very big sometimes, I know. But talk a little bit about that because first we sort of threw the curveball of externships at people and now they're like, wait, 60%, what is that? <laughs> right, so, so I do, I work 60% most of the time. I do, every once in a while, I'll tick it up to 80% for the mm -hmm. very peak busy times and then I go back to 60. And again, that's all made very easy for me. What that means is the way I operationalize it is I typically work three days a week. And so it means two days I'm at home and three days working. And I use that extra time. And it's to be the parent I want to be for my kids. I also do a couple things in the community. So having just that flexibility in scheduling allows me to do some of the other things that I'm really passionate and be the person that I want to be. So I feel very fortunate. I've been 60% now since 2010 when my son was born. So I'm quite experienced at it at this point. <laughs> And Steph, is that for people who aren't familiar with it, is that something that only people on the business side or the, the corporate function side can do? Or is that something that our entire staff can do? I know the answer, but you should probably talk through that a little bit. Everybody has the opportunity to work that way. So we have managers, partners who are 80%, 60%. People are able to make the decisions that are best for them. I would add too, I've seen people on my teams do it different ways. Sometimes it's five shorter days. Sometimes it's three full days. Sometimes it's flexible depending on what the needs of the business are at different times of the year, but it's been really neat to see people taking advantage so that they can live sort of whole lives while in a very demanding job, either on the client side or on the corporate side. I've moved mine around in the way I do it quite a bit over the years too, as I've needed to, which has been great as well. Yeah. What's been cool for me is when you've moved it and I didn't notice, you usually fire right back. Today's not my day. <laughs> Try me again tomorrow. You do have to be disciplined and you do have to help others around you be disciplined. But I think the example that that sets for people is also important because it's not something that just started when you became senior and in charge of recruiting for the office. It's It's been part of how you've approached the job and set those boundaries for people. So people can always point to you as an example that it is possible to draw the boundaries and actually stick to them. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the other things that you're doing at the firm. As I said, I've known you from the client side when you were an AC, a consultant, a manager. I also, I was the staffing manager for the consultants and ACs before you were the program manager for the consultants and ACs, which I like to say I did staffing. You did a lot more on the professional development side, thinking about reviews and coaching and, and really establishing a program in the Chicago office for how we think about developing talent, which sort of still exists to this day, which has been awesome to see. But I also know that you take on, most people take on extra 10%. You seem to take on extra 50s, putting it mildly. And, and I want to talk about some of those. The one that I've talked about a lot in different parts of recruiting 
was the work we did and what you said was one of your original passions around education. And the Rowe Elementary School is is one of the, I would say, proudest achievements the Chicago office has made in the nearly 30 years it's been around. What was your role in that Rowe Elementary project, which is now actually a school, not a project? Right. Yes. So this is also, I would say, one of my proudest moments in my career. Back in 2000. Eight, I believe. We were approached by the city of Chicago. There was an effort to open up 100 new schools to help transform education in Chicago. And we were approached from a funding perspective. And I will give credit to our office head, Michael Collins, at the time, where do who said, well, hey, it'd be great. And yes, we'd be supportive. We'd probably give funding. But wouldn't it be even better if we could start our own school and be part of this movement. And at the time there was a hedge fund and a law firm had done it, but there had not been a consulting firm. And so Julie Kaufman, who's a partner in Chicago, uh, raised her hand to lead the effort and they announced it to the office. And as soon as they announced it, I raised my hand to be her number two. And I was a manager at the time. And for the next seven months, we embarked on an effort that was purely extra 10%, so outside of client work, of what would we do, what would it look like, answering questions like, could we start a school or would we want to replicate a successful school? How do we do it as a consulting firm? Do we want to find a partner? What would that partnership look like? And over the course of the seven months, we had a number of conversations with a number of organizations across the city. We did a number of internal surveys and ultimately landed on, we did, we wanted to start a school. We had identified a partner, Northwestern Settlement House, who had the community relationships, had actually founded Noble Network of High Schools and just spun that out, but was now looking to do something in elementary education. They had the school expertise from running a school, but they needed the expertise around just what are best practices for elementary education. And they recognized what we as a consulting firm could bring to that. And so together we entered this partnership. And so at that point, I was fortunate to be able to roll off of, I was fully engaged. I was working in, I was in consumer product focused at that time on a very significant client in that space, but had the conversations I needed to have with the partners to be able to roll off of that work, to be able to lead the team that ultimately wrote the business plan for the school. And so for the next six, I think it was six months about, we went through an effort of, touring the best charter schools across the country to understand and identify best practices. And then we use that to feed into overall mission for what we wanted our school to be that took some of the assets that Northwestern Settlement House and strengths that they had in the community and programs, and then combined that with the best practices we learned from our research into an overall school model. We coupled that with a business plan, a financial model, and a school schedule that tells you what you really can and can't do given right. the constraints and that fed into a business plan, applied to CPS, hired the principal, and we got approved to open our school. It was another year of startup where we dedicated another case team and then we opened our doors in fall of 2009. So absolutely one of the things that I'm most proud of, we started K through two, it's now K through eight. We've graduated people to go on to college prep high schools and we're a tier one plus school. So it's been incredible. It is amazing. People sometimes say, well, do you guys just do strategy or implementation? I'm like, no, there was a school at the end of this project. We took it all the way through. And and what's been neat to see, again, from the outside of that project is the ongoing relationship we've had with the school, whether it's in fundraising or investing in their students or other teams being there on Community Impact Day and other things like that. It's just been really neat to see. 
So one of the people that you mentioned there was Julie Kaufman, who worked with you on the Rowe Elementary Project. And Julie was just named the head of our DEI practice and is also leading our transformation office. But a lot of the work that we've done over the years and the success that we've had has some of your fingerprints on it, most notably the Bell Program, which is something that started back in 2009 and has become a big part of the outreach that we're doing to a lot of different diverse individuals. Can you talk a little bit about why we started the Bell Program and, and what we sought to do? Because it's been one of the most successful things I think we've done on the diversity side, and it's not something that we started in summer of 2020. It's something we started a long time ago, and you were a big part of that. Absolutely. Yes, this is another accomplishment, I would say. I'm, I'm quite proud of having been involved in from the very beginning. So, Back in 2009, I had just moved into the talent side of the business. So I spent 10 plus years in consulting and decided I was ready to take on more of an operational role and was excited about that. One of the first things that we looked at was we weren't where we wanted to be from a diversity standpoint and tried to get under the lid a little bit and understand why. And as we dug into it from an undergraduate level, what we quickly figured out was we weren't reaching certain segments of the diversity talent pool early enough. We were finding that there were programs that were out there, whether led by banks or other organizations that were focused on hiring diversity talent that were getting to students sooner and then locking them in with different incentives. The other thing we were finding was that folks were really wed to career paths in other places, whether it was med school or law school, and were fully vested in heading down that path at an early stage. So we realized that doing our normal recruiting process, advertising for our internship and our full-time positions was too late. So what could we do? What we wanted to do was do something that allowed folks to explore a lot of different things and didn't lock them in so early. And so by creating the Bell Program, which is a one-week program focused on allowing you the opportunity to get the training and the leadership and the networking, but also get a real live case experience in one week. So you can really truly test out consulting and figure out if it's right for you, but also tack it on to the end of your internship if you did it at a bank or whatever other program you were doing, that that would allow us to it was a unique way that allowed individuals to test Bain out early enough and decide if consulting could be of interest to them. And I remember when I first heard what the plan was, because I think a lot of people don't understand that this was something that you and Dalton came up with. And you kind of, at the time, I was one of the leaders in our Blacks at Bain group. And when I heard about it, you were letting me know what you all were doing, <laughs> right? Like it was one of those things where, and it was such a good idea because I know from my own experience, we weren't sitting around the table growing up talking about, do you want to be an investment banker one day or do you want to be a consultant? That was just not in the, you know, like nobody in our network, or our family network even heard of those career paths. And so the early exposure was really important and it made a lot of sense when I heard it. It's very difficult to wake up right before your senior year of college starts says, you know, I think I want to figure out what this consulting thing is. That might be a good fit especially now. You start a lot earlier and providing people that experience earlier in their journey just made all the sense in the world. And I think the the track record for the program, frankly, speaks for itself. It's grown a ton. The schools have grown a ton and it's the early exposure is different. You mentioned like law school and medical school, and there's a lot of historical reasons that people listening to this can look into. But traditionally, if you want to really simplify it, those were the professions that minorities could go into 
where they could be successful because they would have to serve the minority community because of segregation and other factors. Being a doctor, being a lawyer was what a lot of people aspired to because those were the safest, highest profile jobs in the community. Bell has opened up an entirely new set of opportunities for people that's been awesome. But Roe, Bell, those extra 10s that became 50s are still only part of the journey. I quickly want to touch on you know, one of Bain's largest acquisitions was the forward acquisition. And I know you were involved in, in looking at that as well, which frankly didn't have a lot to do with recruiting or what you were doing on the operating side, but it was something that was entrepreneurial when we were starting it up. What were you involved in there? Right. So I was brought on to the forward team, diligence team, to think about the people and culture impact of the acquisition. So obviously thinking about culture and organization, it's a critical part of any acquisition. And in our case, we were talking about two organizations that have very strong and positive cultures that are a critical part of our people value proposition. Right. And so there was right. special attention that needed to be given, making sure we were doing that well. An important part of my role was better understanding the people, cultural norms at Forward, which quite frankly involved a lot of listening, <laughs> and then also helping them to better understand who we were as a firm and what we could offer, help figure out how could we bring the two cultures and firms together. The digital marketing firm Forward is in Minneapolis, where we didn't have an office. And I would say it's been a really successful integration of the two cultures. We're learning a lot from each other. I actually had the opportunity Earlier this year, it seems like forever ago, given the pandemic, but I think it was earlier this year, I had the opportunity to join them for one of their throwdowns. In some cases, it would be an office-wide meeting. I'm pretty sure it was a company-wide meeting where they had a guest come in and talk about a couple topics. And then I think they called it the hot seat, where they just sort of hit you with questions and try and knock you off balance. Uh, but it was it was fun to see the culture and the camaraderie that they had. And honestly, I, I had visited Forward last year, but their engagement style and a lot of, it was a very similar DNA. It's been great to have them as part of the team as well and learn from the expertise they bring in the digital marketing space and use that not just in my recruiting role, but see us use it in our clients around the world. So that brings us to your current role, Steph. You are leading recruiting for the Chicago office, and we were cruising along uh, in March, getting ready for me, in my case, to fly to Singapore for the INSEAD presentation. And then COVID-19 came and we had to shut it down and go virtual. We were one of the earliest firms out there, if not the first firm, to send an email out in early March, letting everybody know they still had their full-time offers. We look forward to seeing them. But then there was this question of the 450 interns that we had hired around the world, and what would we do with them? When we realized the magnitude from training to what we were going to do with offers to how we were going to execute a virtual program, it became very clear that one, we needed a coordinated global approach, and two, we needed a leader who could pull all of the stakeholders together and get us all playing to the same drumbeat. And that was you. How did you get roped into that? Because that is a massive extra 10%. I would argue it was probably closer to 100%, not even 60, especially at the beginning. But in, in all seriousness, so talk a little bit about what we sought to do with the summer program and, and why this was such an important initiative for the firm. For us going into this across the entire firm, both our current employees and future employees, we don't pause our commitment to people and to people development. And that was true for our interns. The folks that had gone through the intern recruiting process had worked really hard 
for the experience and earned the right to experience Bain for a full summer, to test out consulting, to get a feel for the professional development acceleration prior to committing to this job full time. And frankly, the, the internship program also is an incredible opportunity to learn and get up that learning curve on Bain. We valued that learning. And, and so we didn't want to pause our commitment to that program because frankly, we, we believe we could deliver it. We know how the core part of the experience is to have people on our case teams doing work. Our case teams were incredibly busy. We had opportunities to bring interns in and our, even though we were remote, our people have been great about figuring out how to integrate folks into teams, get them up to speed, have, give them the real case team experience. So we felt we could deliver the experience as well. We decided to give it a full shot and stay true to the, to the things that we had committed to from the outset in recruiting the 10 weeks of learning this centered on a real case experience and supported by the training, the experience sharing, the coaching and connectivity. Cause even though we were virtual or remote, we felt we could still do all of those right. things. Right. And I remember you guys were about 20 minutes in as a working team before you said, no, we're going to do 10 weeks and we're going to do it really well. So that flipped another switch where we said, well, we're going to have to come up with a new training program because we're certainly not flying people all to Cape Cod for a week. And Stu Campbell, Parker and Austin sort of stepped in to lead an effort to create what I would say is week one of the program of the global program that you described, where normally they're in Cape Cod working through a simulated case for three days. But on what turned out to be a four-week sprint, uh, the guys pulled together a one-week global training program, delivering on a global experience with teams mixed and matched by school, by office, with trainers from all over. And similar to other parts of your journey, it was awesome for me to see the Bain team rally. These were people that we were saying, hey, would you mind being a trainer for five consecutive days? And they said, sure, when? In a week and a half. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you. And redoing all of the content because it's different. Nobody wants to be in a four-hour working session on an integrative exercise on Zoom. And so Parker and Austin had to go through and rework all of that content. And I felt like we got to a really good place and delivered an awesome one-week program, but then we had to flip it to your team for the other nine weeks of the summer. And in addition to the casework, I think you pointed out rightfully that people did rally to integrate people onto the team. But what were the other components of the summer that, that you helped pull together? Because at the end of the day, the accept rate from the offers we gave back in April has been tremendously high. And people aren't just saying, well, it looks like it's going to be a tough market, so we might as well take this. They're saying, I had an awesome summer. Yeah. What was awesome about the summer on Zoom from wherever they were? <laughs> well, I will try and hit some of the highlights. I probably won't think about think of everything. Um, we thought about what are the key things that people hope to get out of their summer and how do we replicate that? In some ways, it was apples to apples. So for example, coaching and support, you can still expect mentors, a colleague, people to invest in you. Sure, the coaching sessions happen over Zoom versus face-to-face, -face, but people were committed to regular interactions to invest in people. Right. So that was the same. But we also said, okay, not only, not only are there things that we want to maintain, but actually there's some unique opportunities that we have given the remote nature that we can do some things that we 
are harder to do, frankly, in any other summer. So we created a couple of different learning series. They happened once a week on, it was Tuesdays and Wednesdays, that covered career path topics or got you exposure to senior leaders from across the firm. But instead of having our local office expert present, you actually got to hear the global leader at Bain present on some of those topics. And then a lot of offices actually created forums in the office level to follow up on that. So you still built those office connections and got to know your office leadership team, but you were also hearing the global thinkers on these different areas and also getting to be with your essays from across the system a whole lot more than you are in a normal summer where it is you're you're with your essay class in an office a lot and you're in your global training, but this created a lot of other learning environments where you could continue to learn with essays from across the system. Very quickly, I learned there as we get into the recruiting season, I learned from watching your team that there's a lot of things you can't do in a virtual environment, but there's an entire universe of things that you would never do in an in-person environment that make perfect sense in a virtual environment. Like you said, having the expert in a particular industry in an office speak is great. Having the global practice lead, you can actually do very easily in Zoom, right? As opposed to putting them on a plane and sending them to 24 different offices to meet all the interns, you can do one phone call, which was a really great experience. What were some of the challenges that, that you think we had to overcome as we got into the summer? One of the bigger challenges was allowing our intern class or thinking about how exactly were they going to build a breadth of relationships in a lot of different forums, given the Zoom environment. I think everyone's nervous about that. Certainly, we had the folks that they folks met in person through the recruiting process were continuing to reach out. So that was easy to maintain. But it was how do you create and foster the new relationships? We experimented with a lot of different ways to do that over the course of the summer. We learned small groups are much better than larger groups, right? I think that's probably obvious. But even our essay class in Chicago got really creative and they started doing one-on-one conversation coffee chats with each person in the essay class so that they had to spend 15 to 20 minutes with everybody. And I would argue that because of that, Our essay class this year was probably even closer than in prior years where you rely on sort of chit-chatting and in the hallway and things like that. But this time they need a concerted effort to get to know each person in the class. So I think that was an area where we learned a lot about what works and again, surpassed probably our expectations for what, for what we could accomplish. I think what you're saying is that we're now old and the true entrepreneurs at the firm is the next generation. (laughs) Right. Well, and true to form, right? This is sort of why I love Bain, but it's not just about what we as leaders are saying should happen. the, The best ideas come from everywhere and anybody can bring an idea to the table and make it happen. We saw that this summer, just like we see it everywhere else in Bain. And we're frankly stealing a lot of it for the fall in recruiting. And my guess is that a lot of those innovations will stay true because look, you can chit chat with people in the office, but if you're the SA who's on a team that's on the client site, you would miss out on some of that bonding. And and I think things like what you just described, we're actually making an intentional effort to meet everybody. You know what? We should probably do that every summer, not just when there's a global pandemic or, or a global downturn You know, every decade or so. Looking back, there's a lot of things that I think we've learned over the course of the last six months, there's some things we probably would have preferred not to have learned about um, just doing business in a pandemic and dealing with all of the troubles and challenges that come with that. But I think we've also seen that it's unlocked some creativity that will hopefully stay with us. As we start to wrap up, I just want to ask a little bit with your recruiting hat on and your talent hat on, 
What gets you excited about the next couple of years as you think about continuing to grow the firm, continuing to add innovations and bring in more diverse talent, not just visible diversity, but you've also been one of the people leading the charge with advanced degree recruiting and other types of recruiting that we're doing. You know, what gets you excited? Where do you see your next extra 10 slash 50% bringing you in terms of the types of work you might get into? (laughs) That is a good question. I will a little bit play it by ear and look as we go. I think what I get most excited about is just, I think we are bringing a lot of innovation right now. And as you mentioned, the moving remote, working from home has forced a lot of it. But I think that is a unique time now where everybody is open to just shaking things up and doing things differently going forward. So I'm really excited about some of the new ideas and the things that we're going to be able to test over the next few years, continuing to increase the diversity of our talent pool. And by diversity, as you said, I mean all different things and taking the things that are working across those different programs and taking those best practices and transferring them to other areas and doing all of that. It's It is a fun time to be thinking about how we bring in new talent. And so I'm I'm most excited just for the creativity that's going to be involved and the ability to try new things and the openness of everybody to to doing those things over the next few years. That's great. And just, again, watching you from a distance sometimes and, and much closer at other times, it is a tremendous asset to the firm, I think, to have somebody who can sort of drop into whether we're starting a new charter school whether we're launching an intern program, whether we're buying another company and integrating them into the firm, to have somebody who can play an important role across such a wide range of things, not just doesn't just speak to the, the sort of training and development that you've gotten, but I think it, it speaks to the type of people that we hire in terms of just rising to the challenge and sort of tackling whatever comes your way with the same energy and, and vigor. So it's great to hear some of that. Steph, I want to thank you for the conversation today. You and I seem to catch up a lot these days during the recruiting season, uh, but I know you're incredibly busy. In addition to the 60%, uh, you're also a grade school teacher these days, as best you can during the uh, remote learning this fall. But it's great to catch up, and thanks for thanks for spending some time sharing your experience with us. Thanks, Keith. It's fun, as always, to chat. So thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Beyond the Bio. If you'd like to share a review or give us input on what you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd really like to hear from you. Please email our inbox at beyondthebio at bain.com. We'll see you soon with some new episodes and thanks for listening.